The winter solstice is an interesting event that takes place every year on or around December the 21st. I didn't know that the date could actually vary from the 21st to the 22nd and around those dates, but it can. You probably know this, but for those who don't, the winter solstice marks the longest night of the year. I know when we lived in Pullman, it was a dreaded night because it felt like darkness was always around. Ashley would comment that she would get up and leave in the morning to work when it was dark and she would come home in the dark. But the earth is not actually furthest away from the sun at this point, but because of the tilt of the earth is what makes winter so cold or for us who live in Texas so mild. The solstice is derived of two words, sol and sestir, Latin words, which means sun and stand still. It is in the winter solstice during the day that the sun appears to stand still during the day because it has reached its most southern position, which is directly over the Tropic of Capricorn. Now, if you don't know what that means, welcome to the club, because I didn't either until I had to Google this, and I'm still not entirely sure how it all works, but the scientists, I think, have assured me they have it figured out. I just know it as the longest night of the year. But despite all the science behind the winter solstice, it was an event that also ancient cultures recognized as significant. So often we can see this and read about this, but ancient cultures, pagan cultures, celebrated the feast on the winter solstice. You wouldn't be surprised at this bit of information, but my father-in-law, who lives in the Northwest, he has told me before on the winter solstice when he has been in Seattle near the Puget Sound where his parents lived, he would sometimes go down there just to see what was taking place, and lo and behold, a group of pagans celebrating the winter solstice there on the beach. But pagan cultures and other cultures have recognized the winter solstice. Stonehenge might have been built around the winter and summer solstice. It can be find in, found in the Mayan calendar. Some thought that the way the dates were being arranged, that the apocalypse was going to begin in 2012. Hollywood even actually made a movie about it. Not a very good movie, but a movie nonetheless. I did see it. They might have been off about eight years, but we'll leave that to another conversation. In fact, we know this, that those in Rome celebrated the winter solstice to, where they honored the god Saturn, the god of agriculture and time. But by the second century B.C., the Roman Empire turned this one-day celebration into a week-long celebration that would eventually encapsulate December the 25th. It was known as Roman Saturnalia. It was this week of lawlessness that pervaded the Roman Empire. It has its roots in the winter solstice. And during this pagan celebration, life came to a grinding halt in Rome. Courts were closed, the law was suspended, and as one of the ancient authors wrote about it, they were the best times. People decorated their doors with wreaths and greenery. 
They gave gifts. They gambled. They socialized and they sung. Even wax candles were lit as a symbol that light was returning after the solstice. On the last day of Saturnalia, families gave small terracotta figurines to one another. You may not know this, but the relationship between what we know as Christmas and Roman Saturnalia, there's some overlap. And while that's a sermon for another day, my point is, is that the winter solstice has been a point in history that people have recognized. One is the longest night of the year. But I think we would all admit that the longest night doesn't always come on the winter solstice, does it? I remember the day well. We were expecting the birth of our first child. He was already a week late, and we were eating at a restaurant in Moscow, Idaho, which is about eight miles from Pullman. It's a pizza place that we love to go to, Neapolitan pizza. It was delicious. And we went there about 8 o'clock, and we ordered our food, and we got back to the house about 9.30 to 10 o'clock, and Ashley told me that she was starting to have contractions. Now, I wish I could say I was excited completely, and I was, but part of me was longing for the little guy to come during the day because I knew that I would likely be up all night. Now, to be fair, I might have fallen asleep on the couch that pulled out into a bed until the time that he was coming, but I'm not going to tell you how long that time was. But, but I do know that the, at the birth of our son, that it was the first of many long nights. And they seem not to end at this point in my life, but to continue. But in another way, some of the longest nights in my life didn't come from a lack of sleep, but at the angst of what was taking place in my life. It wasn't a forever time, but it sure didn't feel that way when I was experiencing it. What I thought up to that point in my life was the longest night of my life. It's puzzling to me sometimes how these nights suddenly come out of nowhere. And we're not sure how long they're going to last or when they will end. But everything comes to a grinding halt. You wonder what is taking place. You wonder where God is in all of this. And you struggle to make sense of this moment. And for some, you might even begin to doubt the goodness of God. The longest nights are a reality of life. Some of those nights might be cherished moments, but for whatever reason, it seems that when we refer to, man, this was the longest night, it's often with dread, resentment, and pain. But if we are willing, so often, in the longest night of our lives, we come face to face with the living God. 
I'm sure for that group of shepherds who were outside on that hill near Bethlehem experienced. It was a typical night in all accounts. Another night of tending to the flock. Tending to the sheep. But what was to be a typical night was turned miraculously into, I can imagine, the longest night. But not a night of dread, resentment, and pain, but a night full of awe and wonder. Coming face to face with the living God. Those shepherds who were as the general population saw them, people who they didn't want to socialize with. Normal people didn't want to be around them, and there they were on a hillside going about their lives, and then suddenly and miraculously, as the text says, an angel appeared to them, along with what? The glory of the Lord. A normal night but a little bit of fear, and I'm sure wonder, seized them for a moment. And the angels told them that day that in the city of David, a Savior was born, and you will know it is this baby because he will be in a manger. Shepherds on a hillside told that a baby will be in a manger. The text doesn't say this, but I can imagine those shepherds probably knew exactly where they were talking about. Had baby Jesus been born in the Ritz-Carlton, they likely wouldn't have made it past security, but a manger, those shepherds, they knew where that manger was. Likely maybe even visited that manger. And the angels told them, in the city of David, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, you'll find him there. And that night, what was to be a typical night, has now turned into, I can imagine, one of the longest nights of their life. Angels appearing, telling them to go. And so they go to Bethlehem. They find this manger that maybe they've seen before, maybe not. And who do they find there? Mary and Joseph, and the Savior of the world, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Can you imagine being one of those shepherds out on a hillside and angels tell you of this news of what's happened and you're not quite sure what to make of it? Did I dream this? Is this real? And you go and you check it out. And sure enough, you see two people there and there's a little baby riding the middle of a manger. And they told Mary and Joseph what they had seen, what they had heard. Angels suddenly appearing, saying a Savior has been born, the chosen one. And I can imagine that in that moment, Mary and Joseph looking at one another, but these shepherds who we don't know just saw angels telling them something that we have not long ago heard our Selves. It had been a long night for Mary and Joseph, and particularly Mary. 
know what the role of the husband was in the first century A.D., but if it's anything like it is in the 21st century, you don't do much. It was a long night for them, but for Mary, I suspect that the last nine months of her life were some of the longest nights of her life. Nine months ago, an angel visited her, told her the Holy Spirit would come upon her, and she would conceive and give birth to a son, and he would be the chosen one, the Messiah, and his name will be Jesus. But upon that pronouncement, from that day forward, Mary, at least as far as the text says, didn't hear from any more angels. She wasn't reassured each day by the presence of an angel that all would be okay. She didn't get a daily wake-up call at 7 a.m. saying, All is well in your life, Mary. All that she saw was that every day that she got up, her body began to change. And with it, all the stares, the judgments, the doubts, and I can imagine the questions that filled her mind. And then out of nowhere, these shepherds so show up, testify to what they had heard and saw and as Luke's gospel recounts that Mary did what? Pondered these things in her heart. The longest night was no longer filled with dread, resentment, and pain, but full of awe and wonder that this is true. That what God has told me and what has happened to me the testimony of these shepherds. But Mary's longest night, I'm sure, was yet to come. We read in the gospel accounts that Mary looked up at her son that day when he was hanging on a cross. She probably had a lot of long nights in her life. What do you do when your child is the son of God? But in that moment, as she looked upon her son hanging on a cross, I can imagine at that point and to that point, it was the longest night of her life. But just before that moment, Jesus had the longest night of his life. You see, on the Mount of Olives, he went to pray. His disciples had followed him there. He told them to pray. And Jesus went on a little further. He continued to pray and he cried out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the angel came and strengthened him in that moment, and Jesus continued to pray to such a point that droplets of sweat that were made of blood began to fall from his face. 
And after a time, he went back to his disciples who were not praying, but asleep. The disciples would soon find themselves in the darkest and longest night of their lives. It was for Peter, anyways. Jesus told him that he would deny him, and Peter said, No, Lord, I will never deny you. But after Jesus was arrested, the prophecy was fulfilled. Peter denied him. I can imagine from that moment forward, Peter doesn't know what to do. It's the picture we see in the gospel accounts. He denied Jesus. I'm sure Peter is thinking that the past three years have been for nothing. They've gone up in smoke and Peter returns to the one thing he knew how to do. Fish. In John's gospel, it shares that after it was night, Peter told some of the other disciples that he was going to go fishing. I'm sure that was a long night for Peter. He didn't catch anything. Have you ever fished all night and not caught anything? It's not any fun. It's not fun at all. And all Peter and those who went with him were casting and not catching. But in the early morning hours, Peter came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. As John's gospel tells us, Jesus is there on the beach and Peter comes to him and there Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, I love you, Jesus. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know I love you. And the third time Jesus asks the question, he is grieved. And he says, you know, Lord, I love you. And Jesus follows up with these words of, follow me. The longest night that Peter was experiencing turned to awe and wonder when he felt the grace and the forgiveness of the resurrected Lord. I'm sure Peter and the disciples experienced many other long nights in their lives. We actually see some of this in Scripture. In the book of Acts, Paul talks about this in his own life, and many of them, we know, would go on to die for their faith. Jesus prophesies that at the end of the Gospel of John. But those words of, follow me, were probably seared into the mind of Peter. That even in the darkest nights, we hear those words of, follow me. Perhaps in this moment, you're experiencing the longest night of your life right now. There's sorrow, there's pain, anger, and dread. 
and joy. Joy is the furthest thing from your mind. Everyone around you is experiencing Christmas, maybe the way Christmas should be. But for whatever reason, it's hard for you to get into the Christmas spirit. But wherever you are, I want you to know this. That there are three types of people in the world. Those who have suffered, those who will suffer, and those who are suffering. But Jesus went through the longest night of his life. So that we wouldn't have to be alone in the longest night of our life. Jesus went through the longest night of his life. So that, that all those who confess that Jesus is Lord have life and have life more abundantly. Jesus went through the longest night of his life so that you could stand before him one day as a beloved son and daughter of the king of heaven. Jesus went through the longest night of your life so that you could have hope and joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. Jesus went through the longest night of his life so that you could spend eternity with him. Jesus went through the longest night of his life so that one day, as the book of Revelation says, that there will be no more Jesus went through the longest night of his life so that one day there would be no more night. There would be no more tears, no more pain, and no more death. Jesus went through the longest night so that you and I wouldn't have to go at it alone. But when we are in the longest night of our life, May we hear Jesus' words, follow me, follow me. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. God, I pray that you know where everyone is in this congregation and those who are listening. You know all that they're facing. And whether they have just come out of the longest night of their life, whether they're in the longest night of their life, or that one day they will be in the longest night of their life, God, that they will hear your words of follow me. God, that you have gone through the longest night so that we don't have to face the longest night alone.
that you made a way when there wasn't a way, Father. So I pray, Lord, for everyone here today, whatever they're experiencing, their challenges, their struggles, God, I pray that their eyes will be fixed to you, their eyes will be turned to you, that they are not alone, and that you have gone on before us preparing the way, that we've been given your Holy Spirit to comfort us and to guide us as we make our way through life but all because of what you did, Father, through Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. Father, we pray these things in his name.